Last week on License to Parent. Only in a country that promotes freedom and justice can you have people who are born slaves who are died a millionaire. We are the only nation on the face of the earth that had a, an Emancipation Proclamation. We're the only nation that fought a war to end slavery. But the facts are not reported. 80% of blacks surveyed do not support defunding the police. 60% do not believe that racial discrimination is a principal barrier to their future. So the messages that are coming out, supposedly representing black community, are false prophets. That's the voice of Bob Woodson, the editor of a book that we've been discussing both last week and this. It's called Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. Incidentally, if you missed last week's program, I invite you to uh, go to our website, licensedparent.org, where you can hear it and all of our past conversations uh, vital to today's parents. And uh, Trace, we had just cracked the book, so to speak, on our conversation with uh, Bob Woodson last week. And uh, this is a message that I think all parents need to hear, especially in today's society, where we are being told by all fronts that we are a systemic racist nation. And he says, taint so. Yeah, I mean, our kids have got enough things to feel guilty about today. Uh, the things are involved with on the internet and all the other things. Uh, we don't need to be feeling guilty about things that are contrived. Uh, Bob, thank you so much for coming back. I, I, I really appreciate that. And uh, we were talking about racism uh, last time. I want to ask you, how many people out of 100 do you think can actually define the term racist? I, I bet you two cannot uh, offer a satisfactory answer. Uh, <laughs> I, right. I, I haven't heard any at all, and I've, I've asked the best. I had a debate with Hawk Newman, the head of uh, Black Lives Matter in New York, for an hour, and he couldn't answer me. Yeah. No, I, I get the same thing from our kids. Uh, I get the same thing from people I've talked to out there in the community. Why am I considered a racist, Bob? Because I happen to disagree with someone of another skin color about politics or, or whatever. Well, you know, critical race theory used to be called stereotyping. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. We yeah. used to just call it stereotyping that all blacks look alike, act alike, enjoy the same things. And of course, that was a silly notion and that the civil rights movement was for to kind of change all that. And now the same racist definition is being used by so-called progressive, but it means the same thing that the old racism did, that, that everybody, no one should be judged by the color of their skin. Uh, but, but seemingly that's, that's what the new racist and I call them critical race theory as a new racist, mm -hmm. neo-racist. Yeah. How b right. Before we go on, though, we, we were saying that nobody could define it. How would you define the term racist? Well, racism is something that, that, that to me, is, I don't really care. It's, it's an, if an individual feels as if uh, people from different races are inferior or, or they don't like them, that's their business. I don't really care. But it only becomes a problem for someone else is when that person discriminates or takes action that has the consequence of harming somebody. That's what we ought to be concerned about, not whether someone is racist or not. 
Mm-hmm. Would it be fair? I, I, I've heard <laughs> jokes mainly, but, uh, you know, women, uh, you know, saying, boy, men, can you believe what men do all the time? And and vice versa, men going, boy, that's, that's a woman for you. Um, isn't that the same type of thing? It may be your opinion, but the question is, how are you acting on that opinion? Well, that's the point. What you say and what someone believes is their business. And, and the label of racist is being used um, as a means of, a, of attacking someone with whom you disagree. And, and the, the radical left is just using it uh, to, to really um, silence opposition. Mm. Everything is racist. And, yeah. and so I just think it's ridiculous. And we ought to treat it with that level of, of disappointment. No, it, it is, we should just forget it. Right. I mean, don't you have to speak in generality sometimes just to have a cogent conversation? I mean, does there ever come a time when, when painting a people group with a broad brush may actually be an appropriate or necessary thing to do? Uh, like if we talk about country people versus city people. I mean, didn't Paul paint with a broad brush when he branded all Cretans as liars, lazy gluttons, evil brutes? I bet you there was somebody at that island that wasn't lazy or evil or or, or, or lying. I mean, even Jesus referred to Pharisees of his day as a bunch of whitewashed tombs and hypocrites. So uh, didn't he paint them with a broad brush, all while knowing that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were actually good Pharisees, and all while Scripture makes it clear that Jesus never sinned in the process of doing it? I mean, is that a legitimate point? Or, wh- wh- I, I guess the no, point is... No, it is a legitimate point. We should stop permitting it to be the distraction that it is. Yes. And it's what I always go back to whenever I'm in, in these kinds of situations. I look at circumstances that, uh, that under which people are suffering and say, tell me how this addresses this problem. If we're, if we're talking about, for instance, our kids are in a moral and spiritual free fall, tell me how this helps to arrest that free fall. Hmm. So I think it's important when you're engaging in these kind of discussions to drive the discussion to a solution, to a remedy. Mm-hmm. That's what I say. You've got, you've got this crisis of children being killed in the inner city. Tell me how this would lead to a solution for those. What you are doing with your institution is a solution. Right. And other people need to put on the table what their remedy is, not just we should not let people get away with stating the problem. We have a standard practice at our conferences. You cannot raise a problem unless you offer a solution. It may not be the solution. It should be a solution. Yeah, right. You know, it's it's just so easy to complain, though, isn't it? Uh, Even though Scripture says, do everything without complaining. Uh, Give praise and thanks and... You know, uh, but it's just so easy to complain. It's also Um, easy to point the finger at somebody else, which is part of what the racism conversation leads to is Mm -hmm. it's not us, it's them or, you know, whatever. So, uh, yeah. yeah. But it's a convenient way to avoid having to answer, to provide an answer. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's exactly right. Uh, Bob, what should parents do when they realize that critical race theory is being taught in, in junior school? Oh, there's, there's rebellion. We, at, at the Woodson Center, we released alternative curriculum. And in the last three weeks, we've had 15,000 downloads of our curriculum that is free to schools. Every day, 
uh, we get requests from school boards and from groups of parents for our content, which really challenges the 1619 that for America is forever racist. We, we have in our curriculum uh, personal accounts of how blacks achieved in the face of racism and, and, and discrimination, uh, positive stories of, there were 5,000, for instance, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, there, during the Fugitive Slave Act, a slave was arrested. 5,000 citizens of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, stormed the jail to take this uh, uh, fugitive slave and rescue him. And over the next few months, helped him to get on the Underground Railroad and, and go to Canada. These stories of, and this happened in um, 1853. So we really need to tell not just the stories of oppression, but we need to tell the stories of, of active uh, radical grace in action. 5,000 white residents of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, stormed the jail to rescue a fugitive slave. Mm. Yeah, why aren't those stories being taught? And almost every uh, white person I talk to has no recollection of anyone in their family owning owning a slave. And how do I know that maybe my, some of my, I'm, I'm from Chicago originally, uh, how do I know that some of my ancestry weren't part of that group instead? You know, I mean... Well, it, Native Americans owned slaves. There were some free blacks who owned slaves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, they, people don't know they were white slaves, too. I mean, they, they, they don't... no. So, they don't get that. <laughs> but anyway, I just think we that, 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 that this what we're trying to do at the Woodson Center with our 1776 Unite is to give alternative insight and, and information. Our book sold out within the first 10 days on Amazon. It wow. sold out. That is so cool. And, and Bob, you were talking about a curriculum that you have uh, for the Woodson Center. Obviously, a lot of schools are not going to embrace that, at least not at this time. Can individual parents get a hold of the curriculum? Yes, they can. They can go on our website, and they can download it free. Okay, uh, and that's uh, woodsoncenter.org. 1776unites. Oh. Com. Okay, 1776unites.com. Very good. Just want to want to make sure parents have a way to get it. that curriculum. Very good. But if you're well, seeing on television, a lot of black mothers are joining in the anti-racism movement. So that's what we're trying to do in the in at the Woodson Center is spark a rebellion from among the parents, and it's beginning to happen. There have been recalled elections, uh, school boards. So we, we we're happy that we're exciting, I think, a pushback against this race grievance industry. Very good. Well, this book that we're discussing is called Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. And uh, Bob Woodson is our guest today on Licensed to Parent. He's the person who compiled and edited this book. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more in just a moment. And a reminder, if you missed last week's program, which was part one of this conversation, you'll find that on our website at licensedtoparent.org. More in a moment. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. 
Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job, and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit helpmytroubledteen.org, click on Resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherd's Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Helpmytroubledteen.org. Your children are teens now. They're growing up and gaining independence. That's kind of the point of parenting, isn't it? You're raising future responsible adults, but they're not responsible adults yet. They may be able to do things on their own, but you still want to be able to contact them and you want to equip them for success. So you decide to get them a smartphone. But why a smartphone? For most people, that means 24-7 access to everything on the planet. And that's not wise, nor is it healthy. Digital addiction is prevalent these days. In fact, we see teens of all ages dealing with mental health and behavioral issues rooted in overuse of technology. Issues that affect health, wellness, ability to focus, performance in academics, and more. That's why at Licensed to Parent, we want you to choose a wise phone alternative instead of a smartphone. More information is available at LicensedToParent.org slash wisephone. Welcome to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. Again, you can find us online at licensedtoparent.org. And if you've just joined us, our guest today is Bob Woodson. He's the editor of a book we're discussing called Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. And you'll find that book wherever books are sold, unless, of course, it's sold out. Keep, keep checking back <laughs> wherever you get your books. Trace, man. About when our kids are asked if they're supporters of Black Lives Matter by their teachers or someone else in their schools, what do we want coming out of their mouths and why? I think we want to say that all lives matter and also that they agree and they, you should give them the name of some young black person who has said the same thing, that all lives matter and, and that we need to stand firm with that, not just black lives matter, yeah. but all lives matter. Do you find any parallels of deception in the title Black Lives Matter and the title, say, NAMBLA, uh, North American Man-Boy Love Association? Can you parse that out for our listeners? Because I think there's a similarity in the deception in the title of both of those uh, organizations. Well, first of all, you don't see Black Lives Matter flags in the black community. It's in liberal white communities. Yeah. 80% 80% of the, the membership of Black Lives Matters are, are, are almost wealthy white kids who are sleeping in their parents' basements in right. Greenwich, Connecticut. Exactly. Exactly. So this, this, this notion that somehow Black Lives Matter is a rebellion in the black community is just not true. There's not much support for it in the black community. But they are advocating defund the police, but 81% of black Americans who are in those communities uh, are opposed to it. In other words, I, I made the statement that Al Sharpton flew to the demonstration in a, in a private jet. Maxine Waters, congresswoman from L.A., came from a $3 million home 
mm-hmm. to uh, attend a rally while the head of Black Lives Matter lives in a $1.3 million mansion in a white community protected by white police. That's, that shows you the level of contradiction that exists here. Mm. Yeah, listen to this one. White fragility is a book, it's a perspective, and a, and a term describing uh, inherently racist traits of an entire people group and for which all Americans are expected to accept as legitimate, appropriate, and even non-racist itself as it's crammed down the throats of the kids attending so many American public schools today. Now, let's say that you wrote a new book and coined a new term called black credulity in which you claim another entire people group to be inherently slow and gullible with a a lemming-like tendency to blindly follow irrational and Marxist ideology with little to no critical thinking capacities to believe otherwise. Now, how well would that perspective, term, and book be received in today's society? I don't think it would, uh, but uh, those kind of books were written uh, during the vaudeville days to (laughs) to characterize blacks as slow um, and lacking in self-discipline all of the things that you're seeing that they're writing about white fragility were used to characterize blacks in the 20s and 30s. So it's very interesting. They use the same illustrations and descriptions, only using it against uh, whites. But you cannot eradicate racism with racism. Right. That's no, very exactly point, yeah. right. But that, that leads me to my very next question. When do we just cut our losses short? forgive ourselves, each other, and, and move on. I mean, I can't go back and change history. Is forgiveness a lost term because God seems to be a lost term? Do we not know the power of forgiveness? Well, we should, but I just think that more whites have to develop moral courage to speak out. Oh, Dennis Prager, to me, has always been an example of a person who has spoken the truth on issues of race Mm-hmm. When he had his radio show that and, and ABC News, it went out to all of Los Angeles. Uh, he would not hold back and speak the truth, and he had a lot of black followers. I just think no more white people have got to to stand up and and have the courage to speak the truth on issues of race. And the more as, as those parents are doing at these uh, school boards. Yeah. America must allow, white America must stop itself from being exploited by the race grievance industry. Mm. I, I agree. I, I think a, a lot of uh, white people are just too afraid. Like you said, they don't have the courage uh, to take it on the chin. They don't know how to, to articulate uh, the things that you've articulated in this broadcast, these last uh, two. Uh, I don't think they're comfortable with that. I think it's just so easy to fl- go with the flow. It's kind of like giving your kid a smartphone. Where in the world did we get the idea that was a good idea to give a kid, you know, an addictive adult toy? That that is insane. Uh, but I don't think they they have the knowledge uh, or the the time because of the hustle bustle of our culture to get the knowledge to to rebut some of these things. Now, let's say I'm a black parent. What counsel do you give uh, to my kids to prepare them? When they see the same kind of Caucasian carnival going on, this groveling, this this embarrassment, uh, you know, is there anything that they could say that would uh, ease the pain or to get these people to see uh, uh, that this virtue signaling or whatever you want to call it is just an absolute embarrassment? Well, it really is. That's why with the, at the Woodson Center, we believe that the proper messengers to push back against this race grievance 
industry has to be the voices of black people speaking truth to power and standing up and saying that exemptions from personal responsibility is very lethal and dangerous to our future. And that's why the Woodson Center is sponsoring. We took out a full-page ad uh, in USA Today, and there were pictures of five black mothers who lost their children to urban violence, and they are saying, we are pro-police and we want to increase police presence in our community. So I think those of us who are pushing back against the race grievance industry, we have to join in alliances with blacks because the way you undermine the moral authority of those who say they are for Black Lives Matter is to highlight what parents, black parents are saying uh, that challenges their proposition that race is the most important issue in their life. And when we do push back, aren't we really facing the giants of the world, the George Soros's, the uh, uh, Silicon Valley executives, um, who, you know, very well may be part of a globalist agenda. I mean, I don't want to get into all that, but we're pushing back uh, against some pretty heavy-duty artillery in the opposite direction that have an agenda. That shouldn't keep us from... Uh, doing what you're doing, uh, or at least try to do what you're doing, uh, is it? Well, am, I'm, am I, I'm speaking to, I have been speaking to uh, quite a few high net worth individuals who spend $100 billion supporting Republican candidates for office to try to get them to recognize that in many cases, politics is not a leading indicator that some of that money that is being invested in political candidates needs to be invested in these communities. Amen. Into these organizations uh, that are, are, are fighting back against uh, the race grievance industry. So we, we think that our pharaohs, who are, are Christ-centered pharaohs, should be funding a lot of these institutions in these communities that are pushing back. Mm -hmm. That's what we're trying to promote at the Woodson Center. And I, and I applaud you for doing that again. Uh, but I, there are a number of Republicans and who are sleeping in the same bed with the left. Um, you know, I think, I don't know about you, maybe you have a different take on this. I know there's some who said they didn't want to pass this Juneteenth thing, but uh, could you, do you explain what Juneteenth is and why it is a good or, or not a good thing? I, I don't see why we wouldn't celebrate something like that, but your thoughts? No, I think we should celebrate uh, the very fact that the, the left, uh, I think it speaks to the character of this nation, that, that we celebrate the, the ending of slavery. Sure. Um, yeah, I think that that's very patriotic, and I think it's a patriotic holiday, yeah. But you got Republicans that voted it down. I know, because they are shallow in their understanding, and that's yeah, the yeah. problem, that the only time that you hear from them is to oppose what the other side is doing, right. and they're, as opposed to standing up with people like these black mothers. They ought to be speaking, if these black mothers are saying they are against defunding the police, some of these same Republicans need to say, I agree, and we are going to... To, to publicly support what they're doing, not only in rhetoric, but with funding as well. That's what they should do. Mm, yeah. 
Well, Trace and Bob, we're about out of time on today's program, but I I want us to land this uh, plane, if we can, with this. As uh, parents or uh, folks involved in our community, how do we teach our kids to be the voice against racism? For example, kids, keep it real. And in school, you'll find bullying that goes on because of a different skin color, a different accent, a different any number of things. So if our child is being the victim of of racist remarks or whatever, how do we help our child get thick skin, perhaps, and get through this and respond? And likewise, maybe our child is witnessing this. How do we help that child be a voice to stand up in defense of his friend? Bob, let me start with you. What would you say about that? Well, first of all, I wouldn't approach it with the assumption that the problem is as pervasive as we're making it. Right. I mean, you know, I I just think we need to draw upon examples of where children are cooperating. I think we are creating this boogeyman. This assumption is that that it is a problem. I think, then again, that's why we're issuing, uh, authoring, and issuing all kinds of content. Parents need to equip themselves with what the truth is, how much progress we have made, what are examples of cooperation. Let's read about the. Uh, the counts of people who don't feel that way. Yeah, I'd say, you know, from a young age, we need to be telling our kids that, you know, we don't have a white skin, black skin problem uh, or any color skin problem. We have a thin skin problem. And, you Mm -hmm. know, scripture is pretty replete from Genesis to Revelation that we are not to be easily offended. And I think that, uh, uh, as as Bob mentioned earlier, I think we need to make make light of, uh, of the whole thing. Uh, and that was something I really wanted to get into a little bit more, but we are out of time. But uh, uh, kids do have a perception because they're not watching Fox News or Newsmax or, you know, they're, they're getting their, their information from the public school teachers and from politically correct people who are trying to keep their jobs and, and stay in, in good graces with the powers that be. And so our kids uh, you know, do have a perception and I think in the busyness of life, our parents are just expecting uh, other people to raise them, uh, including Google. And uh, they've got to uh, put that thing down themselves uh, long enough to speak some objective truth and some wisdom into their kids from a biblical worldview. And, uh, and, and part of that is Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation. So it is going to cost you to speak the truth sometimes. Uh, uh, Bob, I'm sure you, you've experienced persecution for your, your positions on both sides of the aisle and both sides of the tracks. And um, you got to suck it up, take it on the chin and move on, knowing that you have the truth behind you. And I think that's what we have to prepare our kids for is uh, uh, there will be consequences for speaking the truth, but mm-hmm. do it anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, our guest today on Licensed to Parent has been Bob Woodson, editor of the book Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. And you'll find that book wherever books are sold. You can learn more about Bob's work and his ongoing work uh, by going to woodsoncenter.org. Bob Woodson, thanks so much for your time on Licensed to Parent both last week and this. And thank you. Yes, sir. And with that, we are done with today's edition of Licensed to Parent. As a reminder, this is part two of a two-part conversation with Bob Woodson. And if you missed part one, you can find that on our website at licensedtoparent.org. Now, we produce this program to help parents be more proactive in the parenting choices they make so that they can raise physically, mentally, and spiritually healthy kids. 
If you'd like to help us continue the work that we do here on the program and in larger part at the organization we serve, Shepherd's Hill Academy, we'd love to have you join us. Your tax-deductible contribution in any amount can provide scholarships to families needing residential care for their teens and can certainly make a difference in a hurting child's life. So please consider donating today when you visit LicensedToParent.org. LicensedToParent.org. Our guest coordinator on Licensed to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosl, inviting you to join us again next time to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you next time.